Survival podcast and my numeric pattern recognition there recognized as 338, one of my favorite rifle cartridges. But we're not here to talk about rifles today. We're here to talk about generators, and we'll probably talk a little bit about solar and other alternative energy along with it, just kind of integrated with it. Because it, standing off in the green room right now is Sean Mills, expert council member, professional engineer, and uh, we'll have him on in just a moment to talk about all of this and more. A lot of you have started asking me more and more about generators. And I thought it'd be good to bring Sean on and do a simple breakdown in simplistic terms of what's best for you based on your needs. Before we get him on, though, let's go ahead and hear from our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day, number one of is John Pugliano with InvestableWealth.com. John is an excellent uh, investment manager. Uh, I really recommend you check him out and his podcast out, again, at InvestableWealth.com and Wealthsteading.com. And uh, he's one of us, too, guys. He's not just an investment manager. He is also a ham radio operator. He is a prepper. He is a podcaster. And he's been part of our community since I first met him back in 2010. That's 13 years. For those coming to the uh, 15-year anniversary party, which we're just about a week away from right now, Mr. Pugliano will be there, so you will get to meet him. So will Nicole Awesome Sauce and a lot of other great people. But definitely check out John Pugliano and wealthsteading.com. Next up, hey, guess what? Today's sponsor of the day is Sean Mills. That's right. Sean actually has a Kickstarter going. I'm sure we'll talk about it in a little bit. It's to, it's to teach you how to use solar energy to move water across your property. Uh, we had it on yesterday. He was up around 9500 9400 bucks or something like that and uh, crossed over between then and today, the $10,000 mark. That's kind of opened up some things he can tell you about. But I'll put it to you this way. Sean's on with us today. He's been on us before. He's answered just probably a couple hundred questions over the last five, six years as an expert council member. He's helped a lot of people on the sideline and periphery as well and Telegram and things like that. Teaches at our seminars. Teaches at Nicole's seminars. He's made a lot of investment. Consider making an investment back in him, backing his Kickstarter. Uh, let's push it even a little bit higher. There's two days left to get in on this. And just consider the knowledge you get a bonus after you make that investment in somebody that's made a big investment in us and our community. With that, let's get Sean on with us here. Hey, Sean, man, welcome to the Survival Podcast, bro. Hey, Jack. Uh, glad to be back, and thanks for having me on again. I'm, I'm happy to. Um, well, I just started, I don't know what it was, but right about the time I did uh, John Bush's exit and build while I was away, I was getting question after question after question about generators and i'm like i'm gonna get sean on to talk about this instead of winging it on my own and part of why i think it's an important subject is i have three generators and they're the thing that have bailed my ass out the most over the last 15 years i've been doing this show it's the thing i've relied on um power fails I don't care what your source is sooner or later power fails i went through nine days with no power during an ice storm in arkansas and because we had good generators, it didn't even matter. We didn't even care. Um, so that's didn't why you have I Thanksgiving gone. dinner in the middle of that. Uh, it, was, it was Christmas. 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 Neighbor, neighbor came by and asked if we were okay. They would finally cleared up enough to get out off of the mountain, 
And they look in the door, and the Christmas tree was blinking, and the football game was on television. <laughs> there was steaming gravy and turkey on the table. And they're like, I guess you're good. I'm like, yeah, we're good. And uh, I ended up giving them some gas cans because they didn't have many gas cans. So they it wasn't that they didn't have gas. They didn't have enough cans to bring enough back home, and we didn't know when we were going to get out our power back. Uh, so being prepared pays off. Um, before we dig into the subject, though, for people that maybe are tuning in the first time today, who and what is a Sean Mills? Uh, that's an interesting question, Jack. Uh, the short version is um, I'm a guy that helps people with homestead design specifically on what we call homestead utilities. So that would be power, that would be rainwater catchment or groundwater development and management, uh, as well as septic systems, both the standard type and uh, more often the uh, non-standard type as well as gray water management, black water management, all that type of stuff. Now, I came to this through um, getting into the um, construction industry and working specifically in the utility generation space for the past 23 years. Um, my last day in that industry and having Hack My Homestead as a side gig was actually June 30th. So I'm full-time Hack My Homestead now. And um, over those 23 years, I learned a lot about the fragility of uh, the U.S. grid system. It is a modern miracle. I say that all the time. I'm not anti-grid. I'm not anti-coal or any of those other things. Um, but I felt like I needed to take more ownership of my own, um, you know, energy resources. And so in 2012, uh, I actually bought an off-grid property and moved there with my family uh, installed our own off-grid uh, power system with solar and inverters, battery banks, and then went and did rainwater collection, uh, rainwater management. Um, and as a matter of fact, right now this year, I'm in the process of doing the first full upgrade uh, on that now 11-year-old system uh, because the components, the price of the components have come down so much and, and the availability is so good that uh, we're kind of upgrading that system. But that's how I came to it. About seven years ago, I started helping other people uh, kind of follow the same path that we did. And I believe about five years ago, I, I officially went uh, side gig with Hack My Solar. Mm -hmm. uh, and then this year rebranded to Hack My Homestead because uh, we do more than just solar. Uh, but that's how I ended up here. And I think you'd agree that even in a off-grid solar-based system, we're probably going to add a generator to that because sun doesn't always shine, the wind doesn't always blow, and, you know, you have kind of a guaranteed, it's it's like flick your bick for fire starting. You, you you get what you expect out of it. So we can, can we start off with how does a generator actually work? And to me, this ties a little bit into uh, the whole marketing bullshit around the concept of solar generators, which are yeah. just a, a battery, an inverter, and a solar panel. It's not That's a battery backup system with a solar panel. It's not a generator. A generator is power on demand, and you can kind of know what you're going to get, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah, I, I, I think of a solar generator as kind of like organic, right? It's yeah. a marketing term that's been co-opted by the industry, and it doesn't mean what uh, people think it means. But how a generator works, how a gas-powered um, or combustion-powered generator works is <clears throat> you have a set of windings um, surrounded by a set of um, uh, magnets, okay? And typically in a generator, that's an electric mag magnet. 
And so when those windings spin, it creates a current. And that spinning effect is actually caused by the combustion of the engine. So you have a motor and that motor, uh, you know, runs on mechanical energy and that's half of a generator. And then the other half of the generator is the part that converts that mechanical energy over to electrical energy. <clears throat> now, one of the things to uh, remember is that you have to have a certain voltage level and a certain um, frequency of that output. OK, and when you do that, and I know this is a little bit nerdy, guys, but stay with me because it's important to understand how these things work when we get into talking about the different fuel options for them. OK, and so you have to run those in those uh, generators at a constant RPM in order to put out the right type of energy that your appliances need. And so the way that that works is the more current that's being drawn from the generator, the more resistance there is, the internal current in the system. And that's what causes the mm -hmm. of the actual generator, right? So when that thing starts to, what we typically call bog down, right? When that thing starts to really, uh, you know, get, get towards the end of its power curve, the thing what's happening there is that the increased gas going into the engine um, is counteracting the in the additional current needed to drive at that specific voltage and that specific frequency. Mm -hmm. So just imagine a rotating thing that creates a current and the more current you need, the harder the engine has to work to actually make that rotation constant. And then there's a limit. There's a finite amount. And so when we see things like running watts and all, that's kind of like that's a, that's all you're getting. You ain't getting no more. Um, and this is I think for people to maybe understand this, like a lot of us, at least anyway, you're old enough. We did actual experiments in science class in uh, like high school. And you make something like uh, an electric motor and you apply power and a magnet and it spins or you look at something like uh, a drill. Basically, you're applying power and you're getting spin. So you're using power to spin the wheel. But if you spin the wheel by some other source, then power comes out instead of drawing in. Right. Like, yep, exactly. like you can actually take certain electric motors and and kind of flip them around, make a little wind generation machine or something like that, or make a generator. I've seen people do it out of like car alternators and all. I don't think they're highly efficient, but I think it does help people get their head around how it works. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. The reality is, is that an electric motor um, and, and a generator work very similarly. The difference is the direction of the current flow. Yep. Yeah. What are the pros and cons of some of the different fuel sources? We had someone here that was wanted to make sure he didn't screw up. I told him I don't know anything wrong with this generator at all, but he bought a dual fuel uh, champion. Uh, I think that's a decent generator right there. But let's talk about. Yeah, you said 380. I saw your face and you saw the price, 385 yeah. bucks. I want to know what size uh, Akita. On My that. guess is that's probably a 2200, but that's still a that, solid I need another generator at that price. Yeah, actually, I was going to mention there is a dual fuel inverter generator that's a prime day deal uh, that's on today. And I'll find that and send you the link to it. Okay. But I'm, I can't remember. It might have been Champion, honestly. Um but yeah, so let's get into the different, the pros and the cons of the different fuel sources. And we'll start with gasoline just because that's what most generators are, uh, that are portable. And, you know, the, the gasoline is widely available. If there's not a natural disaster, 
um, or uh, a hack, right? Remember the uh, Colonial Pipeline hack last year? I actually happened to be in Charlotte, North Carolina when that happened, and Charlotte was the first city, major city in America to run out of gas. I literally had to drive an hour and a half south of Charlotte, North Carolina to find a place where I could fill up. Um, but outside of those relatively rare uh, and out in, in the, you know, in the case of a hurricane, you know, it's coming. Right. Yeah. Uh, but outside of those situations, uh, gas is easy to get. It's cheap. Um, it has very high energy density, right? So per gallon of gas, you can get 114,000 BTUs of energy. The generators that run on gas are the cheapest generators that you can get, you know, by on comparison. Um, now, one of the pro, the cons with gasoline is that it's highly volatile. Okay, so you have to treat it in order to store it for a long time. And generally, storing gasoline compared to the other options is more dangerous because if you were to have an uncontrolled fire and say 60 gallons of gas in your garage, well, goodbye garage. Okay. And so probably house front yeah, yard trees, absolutely. That. like it's going everything, everything. So, so there are some, some cons there. Um, gasoline engines are the most work to maintain of, of any of them, the, the most work to get, um, you know, back into a working state in the event that you had one and let sit for a year. Uh, now, I will say that there are some additives that you can utilize. We'll get into that when we talk about maintenance that can really counteract those issues. But, you know, commercial gasoline these days, it has a ton of additives in it. There's just all kinds of stuff that's not gasoline that's in gas these days. And even good, clean gas is going to build up and create deposits and varnish on the inside of your machine. And so a poorly maintained um, gas generator is going to stop working faster than the other ones, right? So that's gas. Mm-hmm. Now let's talk about diesel. So diesel actually has the most energy per gallon of any of the, the widely available fuel types. It's got 129,000 BTUs per gallon. Uh, it's got typically longer life and durability. Diesel engines, I personally own a 2003 Ford Excursion with the diesel it's got 329,000 miles on it and it runs great. No problems. You know, I don't know if I'll hit half a million miles on that thing, but it kind of seems like it by how well it runs. So if you take care of a diesel and you do the things that you're supposed to, you know, change your fuel filters out and things like that on the right schedule, um, you really can get a unit that lasts a long time. And there's also no spark plugs, right? So one less thing that you have to, um, do you have to worry about when you're talking about uh, diesel. Uh, the next one is propane. And so propane uh, is your first kind of stored gas. Um, g- propane is pressurized into a liquid form, into a container. There's a little bit of space on the top of that container. And as the pressure changes, what happens is that liquid actually boils off and you get uh, ne- propane gas into your generator. Now, propane has an energy of 84,000 BTUs Per gallon. So we're talking about 75% or so of gasoline. Now, the cool thing about propane is it won't degrade over time. Mm-hmm. You could fill a propane tank up, sit it in a shed, pull it out 50 years later, and as long as your connections haven't corroded, you yeah. can use that stuff. It's no problem. The tank will degrade before the gas. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, the other nice thing about propane in an actual generator is it doesn't leave those deposits. So it's a cleaner fuel in terms of gumming up the inner workings of your machine. 
Um, so less maintenance. If you've got a, a system that runs off of propane and you do a good job of maintaining it, you can really run that system for a long time. And so then talking about natural gas. So natural gas is the least energy dense. It's about 75,000 uh, BTUs per gallon. And now most people don't think about natural gas in terms of gallons. They think about it in terms of therms. So if yeah. you're on natural gas right now and you get your natural gas bill every month, you'll have a, a certain number of therms, which is equivalent to a thousand cubic feet. Okay. Now a, a therm uh, actually has 900,000 BTUs per therm. And that works out to 900 BTUs per cubic feet. And so if you'll allow me to, to digress here for a second, Jack, I actually have a list that I put together of all of the different types of fuel that you might use in a generator okay. and the equivalent quantities that you would need to equal 60 gallons of gas. Because okay. you talk about 12 five-gallon uh, tanks of gas, yeah. right, in storage. So to uh, have the exact same number of BTUs, which is just a measure of thermal energy, you would need 53 gallons of diesel. Okay, so again, this is equivalent to 60 gallons of gasoline. Slightly over 53 gallons of B20 biodiesel. Okay. You would need 58 gallons of pure biodiesel. Okay. And I'll come back to that in a second because pure biodiesel is actually easier to make than you might think at home. You would need 7.6 therms of natural gas. And to put that in perspective, the average house uses about 60 therms per month of natural okay. gas. Okay. You would need 81 gallons of propane. You would need 90 gallons of E100 ethanol. All right. <laughs> so if you had a place where you could go steal ethanol, uh, did I say steal? Whoops. Never mind. Uh, if you had 120 gallons of methanol, that would be the equivalent. So methanol is about 50% of the available energy. Um, and all of that is equal to about 2,000 kilowatt hours of electricity, which is about a week or five days worth of electricity in a standard American household. So okay. all of those things are equal to 60 gallons of stored gasoline. Which is, you know, my 60 gallons will probably get you through about a week. And if you throttle back what you're doing, you can go longer. It's if you were yeah, if you were running full out, it gets you through a week. Uh, if you got really smart about that, you could stretch that out to a month. Yeah, I, I think, you know, you talk about the bogging and the revving and all, too. Like, one of the things people need to understand is everything you read on the spec of a generator is 50% load. Right. So when it says that nice low DB and it's not that loud. Yeah, when you start it up, it's a quiet little hummer and. You plug a few things in and all of a sudden it sounds like somebody's running a, a tractor out in your backyard, which is kind of what's going on. I'll tell you what, man, I was I was up at the off-grid homestead building an outdoor shower out of two IBC totes a few weeks back. And I was topping the battery bank off because I don't have the full I have the full new battery bank in, but I don't have the full new solar array in yet. Yeah. So I just had my big 8750 generator running and I was pulling about 4000 watts out. OK. Yeah. And. I. Several times I went inside and realized that my ears were ringing, yeah. you know, and I was about 15 feet away from yeah. this generator. Uh, and, and I kept every time I went inside, I'm thinking, you know, I should probably put earplugs in. Now, I never yeah. did because, you know, safety first. But um, but yeah, no, they are loud. They are absolutely yeah. loud. <laughs> yeah. So 
let's talk about that next and sizing a generator. This is the biggest inquiry I get. How big of a generator do I need? And I think that's a big asset depends. Yeah, absolutely. And the reality is that a lot of people think, well, if I have this small generator and it costs, let's say $700, if I go up and get the next one bigger, which is twice the rating, it's only $200 more. I should do that. Okay. Well, there's a couple of things you want to think about. The first thing you want to think about is, okay, how, how many things am I going to be running off of this generator at one time? And then the second thing you want to think about is how often am I, am I going to be running this generator? Okay. Mm. If this is literally a backup generator for a, for a, thunderstorm came through and my power is going to be out or ice storm came through and I'm going to run it for a week. Right. But outside of that, I'm very rarely going to be running this generator. Then you need to think about, okay, what things in the house have to run. Now I will tell you that you can run anything in your house. That's not a central AC or a central heat or a deep well pump off of about a 2200 uh, watt generator. Now, that doesn't mean you can run everything in your house at one time, okay? But anything in your house that's not one of those three things can run, and, and a hot water heater, um, yeah. anything that's not one of those three things can run off a, what we'll call a midsize uh, generator, okay? Your fridge is going to pull maybe 800 watts at startup, and it's going to pull one to 200 watts when it's running. Same for your freezer. Um, I was down in Florida when Hurricane um, Irma hit, and we were down there without power for about six days, if I recall. And we had a 5,000-watt generator, and uh, we were at my wife's grandmother's house, and we ran a refrigerator and a freezer. And these were older ones, so they were yeah. not Energy, energy Star rated by any means. We ran those two things off the generator, and then she had another freezer. And then some stuff inside where we were charging up batteries, we would switch over and run off of that just off of electric cords or extension cords. And that generator didn't have any a hard time at all working. No. Right? Then for my wife's grandmother, she actually had an oxygen machine, a CPAP and a window AC unit in her room. And so in the evenings, I'd top the generator off. We'd flip over and run those three things plus one fan. And that would run all night long. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. a 5,000 watt generator can run multiple of those things that we're talking about. <clears throat> Excuse me. Without those three or four major um, load items. Oh, you know what? I should probably include um, if you have an electric range or electric oven, those not heating happening. elements are not going to do great with a dryer. With too, you know, What's that? Your clothes dryer too. A lot of those are. Right. Know, yeah, anything that's on a 240 volt plug, yeah, plus your central AC and your central heat um, are not going to run off of that 2200 watt uh, generator. So, yeah. when you talk about well pumps, um, this is where you can really get some, you know, big inductive loads when you're getting those things charged up, and and they work similarly to an air conditioner. And so, the thing to remember with a central AC unit or the well pump is that rotor that's turning on the inside. Remember, the electric motor works the opposite way of the generator, okay? And so you're taking that electrical and you're converting it to mechanical. And what you have to do is you have to overcome the initial, um, you know, uh, resistance to get that thing started. That's, yeah. they call it locked rotor. Surge load. 
Yeah. Up, up um, uh, inrush current is another way for, to say it or locked rudder amperage. And so you have to overcome that initial startup and that's where your big increase in draw comes from. Now with an air conditioning unit, you can actually put a, um, I think it's called an, um, it's called a smart start and micro air, I think is the name of the company that does a soft start module that you can put on there. And what it will do is it will actually use capacitors to slowly ramp up that rotor turning. Okay. And so what you can do there is you can actually run a central AC unit off of a 2200, uh, Honda, um, generator. All right. I wouldn't recommend it because that's you're really getting to the edge of the thing. But a 5,000 watt generator could run a three ton uh, or four ton uh, AC unit, no problem. So with the well pump, you know, I can tell you that I personally ran a three horsepower well pump off a 5,000 watt Generac, and a lot of people say, "Oh, that's too small," and it would bog down when it had to get through that locked rotor amperage. But once it got turning, it was no problem at all. So you kind of want to think about that. Any well pump that you have um, is going to increase that need. But there aren't any commercially available well pumps on the market these days that are going to require anything bigger than about a 5,000 watt generator, assuming that generator is built to where it can handle an inrush current. Right. So you want to think about what that that surge current is. Uh, And then the same thing for ACs or for furnaces to get your furnace blowers going in the winter. Uh, particularly if you're on a uh, natural gas type system uh, where your heat is actually being generated by gas. You're just pushing it through the house with electricity. And sometimes the igniter itself is also running on electricity. So those, again, they're going to require that initial surge rating. But you can kind of strategic. Well, here's one thing. You're never going to run your AC and your heat at the same time unless you're a psychopath. So you can kind of strategically go through uh, your loads and say, okay, I'm going to step up from this 2200 watt generator to a 4500 or a 5000 watt generator. And now that can run everything in my house. So what I'm going to do is it's in the middle of the winter. I'm going to run my heat until I get the house to a reasonable, uh, temperature. Then I'm going to switch over and counteract the fact that I just heated up the room that's around my refrigerator and, uh, cool my food off and make sure that my stuff in my freezer stays cool. And so, a lot of people think, oh, man, I need a 22 kW Generac uh, propane um, or natural gas whole house generator. But the reality is, is that that would be what you would need if everything in your house that has a inrush current started at the same time. OK, mm. and you can manage that through literally flipping the breaker off. And then strategically flipping it back on. OK. Yeah. So even if you have a whole house generator, a 7,000 or 8,000 watt whole house generator is going to run the vast majority of households. Now, if you got a 4,000 square foot house with three or four different AC zones and, mm-hmm. and, and electric heat and all that, well, now we're getting into a different thing. But today we're talking Here's about your strategy, though, right? While that's going on, close doors and you know, use one side of your climate control. Right. Like with portables, what we do, I have a 75 watt, uh, 7,500 watt Troy built and it'll easily run a couple window units. So we just move the window units out of the office into the main part of the house. If it's a summertime outage, close everything off. And that generator doesn't give a crap about two little window units. It, it doesn't even care. It doesn't even, it barely tacks up. 
And typically the conversion for a window unit is about 90% of the BTU. So a 12,000 BTU window unit is going to take, you know, about 1100 Watts to, okay. to run. And now I will tell you those mini splits. I don't know if anyone's got experience with mini splits out there, but especially the inverter style mini splits that have the slow start built in, those things are fantastic. You're talking about 12,000 BTUs for like seven or 750 Watts. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's something I keep looking at, but every all my AC works perfectly, <laughs> so, so I can't I can't. Why would you add right now? You know, yeah. the other um, thing about choosing the about generator size is you want to match your loads to about fifty to eighty percent of the capacity. Okay, so if we're talking about a five thousand watt generator, when you're running that thing and you're relying on it. You want it, you want your needs to be in the 2,500 to 4,000 watt yeah. range. Okay. Yeah. You don't want to run a generator consistently below 50% capacity because what happens there is that you're burning your fuel less efficiently. And so as I was talking about earlier, how you get buildup inside the, the unit, if you're building, if you're running at less efficiency, you're increasing the amount of that fuel that's going to leave deposits. Then when you get past 80%, then you're on the other side of that efficiency curve. Yeah. Not only are you getting closer to the place where you're going to damage the electrical components of the generator, but you're also, you, there's a pretty steep drop off beyond 80% of rated capacity. Now there are generators on the market that are rated to run at hundred percent, like full out all the time, but that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about you go to Home Depot, you pick up a generator, you put it in your in your garage, and when you have a problem, you flip over there and and run some electrical cords to it, crank it up, pull it out of your garage first, yeah. and then uh, and then you know run your house until the power comes back on. So, um, what about inverter generators? I get that all the time. I gotta have an inverter generator. Well, maybe let's talk about it. Let's talk about where it actually matters and where it doesn't really matter very much at all. Yeah, so I talked about earlier about how a standard generator has to maintain a specific RPM no matter what. So if you don't have any load on that generator, it still has to maintain that RPM. And so there is some wasted efficiency. Uh, and I, as I just mentioned, if you're below 50% capacity on that generator, then you're not running that fuel through there as, at the most efficient level. What an inverter generator does is it actually converts the AC that is being generated to DC in the generator and then back to AC for the actual load that's required. And because yeah. so, as I mentioned, you have to maintain those RPMs in order to keep your voltage and your frequency at the correct levels. Well, if I'm converting it to DC first, then I'm converting it back to AC Converting it back to AC, it gives me that voltage and that frequency that I need. So I can run my generator at 10% capacity and be perfectly fine mm -hmm. and have a very well, um, you know, a very good fuel to output, fuel uses to output curve. Okay. So an inverter generator, it's not doing anything special. But the reason why these things run so quietly compared to their counterparts is they don't have to keep that minimum RPMs going at all right. time. Okay. Cause that's, that's where people tell me, thing. well, they're so quiet. Well, they're quiet until you put a load on them because once you put a load on them, 
it's still kind of the same motor. It's just it's yep. not being asked to do as much. That's at eighty percent. If you have two five thousand watt generators, one's okay. an inverter and one's a standard, and you're both you're at eight eighty percent capacity on both of them, the output noise pressure will be very similar between yeah. the two. Yeah. The other thing but I hear the is same thing with people talk about oh I need two hundred amp service for my house. So I talk to people all the time about this when I'm designing solar systems for them. Yeah. Like, hey, this inverter is only going to put out 40 or 50 amps. Yep. And your house will never need that much. So the reason why you have a 200 amp service or some people have 400 amp service to their house is because the electrical code requires that input to be rated at a certain space because of all of the downstream circuits that are going to be serviced by that panel. Gotcha. When you're talking about a generator, you don't have that same, uh, you know, you don't have that same requirement. And so the vast majority of the time you need a thousand watts, you need 1500 watts. And so that generator is now running at 20% capacity. That's why it's quieter. Yeah. I also hear people say they need them because they have certain devices they're going to run. And I think, well, maybe, but probably not. So here's an example. When we lived in Arkansas, um, standard Troy built generator, power goes out. Of course, so does internet and TV. Well, we were on dish for both. Plugged in the receivers, turned it back on, network back on, everything worked. We're watching the football game, you know, Christmas Eve. And uh, so we move here, power goes out, and Dorothy wants to know, well, why can't you get the internet back on? Why can't you get the cable back on? Well, the cable TV lines, they're drawing power from the grid for the amplifiers in the system. Uh, so if the power is out for them, to the closest amplifier to your home, well, you're screwed. So I can turn on the cable box. I can turn, and some people do that, I think, and they think it won't run because it won't boot with the power sine wave coming off a standard generator. And if they had an inverter generator, it would. Now, I don't know if maybe there is some equipment that that's true about, but my experience has been that I think what you're really looking at is the utility you're trying to use is also doesn't have power. Because yeah. unlike the phones, the old hardline phone system that runs their own power, you're, you're as a the, uh, former CATV tech, you're drawing power from the same place the household's getting it. Right. Yeah. The reality is if you're in a place where your Internet provider needs power to send the signal to your house, it won't matter if you've got a generator running at your house and your router is on. There's no signal coming to it. Yeah, and um, they're telling people, well, we got fiber to the house. Well, something has to run that that light emitting diode or that's that single mode fiber, right? Something has to power that. And if again, if the power is out on 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 the other side of the last power point for you, you're done. Right, right. It's not there. Yeah. <laughs> now there is something to be said for the fact that a standard generator puts out dirtier power. Okay. than an inverter generator. So the inverter generator, again, is converting it to DC and then back to AC. So it's a very, very clean sine wave that's coming out of an inverter generator. Your standard generator is literally changing the power of the electromagnet that's in there to kind of, ma and it does have a voltage regulator, but that mm -hmm. voltage regulator is not as clean as the inverter. And so you will have some devices in your house that you don't want to run on dirty power or they may just reject it and turn off or you might have devices that actually get burnt out. Now, mm -hmm. here's the way to modulate that. Anything that you have that might reject uh, 
unclean power or be damaged by unclean power, plug your extension cord into a UPS and plug those things oh. into the UPS. The UPS will not allow that dirty uh, power to flow through it. It will either clean it or it literally it will reject the power, flip over to battery. And then okay. when the power cleans up a bit, cause you could have something like a compressor pops on yeah. and your voltage drops a little bit. So yeah. the it, UPS will keep your thing on yeah. and then it'll turn off and go back to the generator power. Once the generator power is cleaned up, we, we did that when we were off, when we first went off grid, we're running straight off of a generator. Yeah. Um, I had a, a, um, projector, you know, like a, a TV project or movie projector uh-huh. that would not take anything but perfect power. So we just plugged it into a UPS and that problem went away. I'm glad you said that because I keep forgetting I need to replace my UPS. It still works, but it's got almost no life left in it. It's almost 10 years old. And that's, <laughs> oh, yeah. That's, yeah that's that battery's probably good. Yeah, you know. Um, yeah, it has about five minutes of life, so it allows a shutdown, but not you got to do it quick. <laughs> right. Um, so what about extension cords? Um, I have a switch over where I can just cut off from the grid and feed straight into the house, and that's great. But honestly, we don't usually even do that if it's a short-term outage because I want to put my generator in a position where I can run some of my pumps and run stuff in the house. And it doesn't quite work with that big giant cord as well. So uh, we do a lot with extension cords and, and my opinion on extension cords in general has always been by good heavy gauge cords. Right. Right. Yeah. So, so there's two things to remember when you're thinking about an extension cord. The first one is the shortest length that you can reasonably use is the length that you want. If you've got a 10 foot, if you're powering something 10 feet away, you don't need a hundred foot cord. Yeah. Um, now I'm also not advocating that people go out and buy five each of 25, 50, 75, 100 foot heavy yeah. duty power cords. Cause that's probably a thousand dollars when I just lift yeah. it off. Okay. Yeah. So, but you just got to remember that the same amount of amperage that's flowing through that cord um, will start to create heat right over long distances. So I'll just run through a 14 gauge cord, which is typically considered like a medium duty. 15 amps is all you're going to want to put through that. Okay. Uh, 12 gauge, you go up to 20 amps. And if you've ever seen stories or, or heard of people where, and they, they have the picture where they plug two cords together and it's all black and melted. Yep. Yep. The reason why that happens is because they were pushing too much current, too many amps, through that connection. Okay. And so that's all we're trying to prevent here. We're trying to have a large enough conductor so that the amperage can flow through there. And there's not an, there's not so much resistance in the wire that it starts to create heat. So 10 gauge, which is your standard heavy duty, uh, like a 10, three electric cord, like the heaviest duty that you can find, that'll take 30 amps. All right. You can go out a hundred feet with very little voltage loss in that. If you're talking about the cord that's actually going to connect from your generator to a transfer switch, well, now you need to go. You might even have to have something made for this. Okay. Typically there, if you're going up to 40 amps, you're going to need eight gauge. And I typically tell people to use a six gauge, which is rated for 55 amps. Most transfer switches are like a 50 amp transfer switch. And so, you know, having a either making it yourself, if you know how, or having an electrician make you what we call a pigtail 
which just goes from your transfer switch to the generator that's six gauge, that's really what you want because now you can put all 50 amps through that thing and 50 amps at uh, 240 uh, volts is a significant amount of power. Again, more power than most people. Well, yeah, you can build some electric chairs out of that if you want to. I mean, yeah, yeah it's uh, the one we have. It looks an awful lot like the one that we had uh, when we had an RV for hooking right. up to a full RV service. It, it's yep. heavy. You could beat somebody pretty good with a piece of it. Uh, and with transfer switches, you kind of got two styles, right? You've got the from one to the other, right? You can, you can disconnect the incoming from the grid side and power everything from your generator. Or you can have the kind like you have, Jack, where you've got a plug and you've yeah. got specific circuits that run off of that and the other circuits just don't. Yeah. Right. And so that transfer switch just says, okay, we're, we're going to put these 12 or six circuits or whatever the, the number is, they run off of the generator and nothing else in the house is going to run. And then the other option is, and I like, there's something called a Generlink and I've mentioned it. I think I mentioned it several years ago in one of my expert uh, council answers, but you literally put it in between your meter and your meter mounting box and you plug the generator directly into it. Okay. And it, the transfer switch is built in. It's the same kind of transfer switch that you would have with a whole house generator. Now, if you're doing that, you need a big enough generator to run everything that's going to sure. be in your house. Okay. Or at least everything where you're going to have the breaker on. Um, but that's a plug and play simple option. And, and it's you're talking about cheaper. the kind the power goes out, the switch knows the power's out on the grid and it switches itself. So the generator can provide power and the power comes back on. It tells the generator shut itself off and it, it allows the grid to pass through. Cause like when we use that here, I have to kind of pay attention because the power comes back on, I don't know mm -hmm. because it's a manual switch. Like you said, it only runs part of the house. That's exactly yeah, so what, what you described is the type that goes with a whole house generator. Yeah. When I'm describing, it actually does the opposite. It, okay. If it, if it sees power coming from the generator, yeah. then it switches and oh. it'll stay on generator power until there's no power coming in from the grid. You can't have both. Okay. okay. Yeah. Yeah. What you have is it's all manual. It's power all goes manual. off, you go switch it, and then, like, you're watching the streetlights to see, oh, is the power back on yeah, or whatever. We'll roll the generator out, plug it in, mm -hmm. kill it. And there is an indicator on the, the transfer switch that says, hey, there's power. But, you know, you got to remember to walk out there and look at it and listen to your generator screaming, running, and <laughs> all that. So we tend to just kind of look across the street at night, and we see a light on up. Oh, Neighbors got power. We probably got power unless it's yep. the one leg that comes in the back here. Uh, we're probably back on because otherwise you're sitting there running your generator for no reason. At Absolutely. All. And we have a lot of um, short term blackouts. And like I said, I'll usually I have several generators. But if I don't set it up that way, I can do the things I need to do to keep fish alive and run a window unit and stuff with extension cords. So we usually do that because it's less of a pain in the ass than getting them both out. You know? Right. You know? Now, Jack, do you, you've been, you've been there in your place for several years. Do you find there's more outages recently or, or is it noticeable? I haven't had an outage at all since three years ago when we had the giant ice storm that really wasn't an ice storm it was just really cold okay. uh, and the grid failed. We've had like, over the last three years, we've had a few short-term 
Like, I don't even get the damn thing out because you check with, with ERCOT and it says they'll be back on in 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. And those have been mostly storm related. Yeah. Um, when we lived in Arkansas, we had power failures. And that's 10 years plus back, but we had them all the time. Right. Uh, it seemed like the grid there was in hot springs was way less stable than ours. And then we lived up on a mountain at kind of the end. So like we could have 13 people without power on our mountain. Oh, yeah, you're the and last. 20,000 people in hot springs without power. So we're last. And I understand. I've never like had neighbors who get mad. I'm like, what do you? What would you do? You could turn on 20,000 20, people's power or 13. Yep. Well, I still don't like it. I don't like it either. But go get another generator. <laughs> <laughs> but I haven't seen it getting worse. I've heard from others that that's the case. Mm-hmm. But here, it's actually been. We've had a lot of pretty nasty storms this year, and you're always like, damn it, don't do it. And you, know, you get a flicker, but it, it didn't go out. Where right. first few years, we had two or three, you know, full day-long duration ones. And with all the stuff I've got going on, that's a bigger problem than it would be for some people. Um, when Michael was here one time when we were on vacation, they went like two and a half days. And he had all the generators running to keep the ponds going, the inside, my fish tanks in my office, like all this stuff. It's uh, my needs are unique, as you know. You've been here enough. Yeah. Yeah, you're moving a lot of water out there. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, what I've also done though, and we'll probably have to. I'll probably do some stuff on this at the next workshop. I have all my systems now. Have at least two pumps. And a way to take the small pump and let it do the job of the big pump so there's less need of power during an outage. Because as long as the mm-hmm. water's moving, my fish are going to stay alive, especially in winter. Right. Like in winter, the bad storm we had in winter when we were out for several days, I just shut everything off. I shut it off before the power went off. I let the ponds freeze up. I let everything freeze up. I vented the pipes so that nothing would break. Mm-hmm. And since it's that cold, the fish don't produce any waste. They don't use a lot of energy. No problem. But when it goes out in summer, some of my systems, if that's all for more than 12 hours, I got dead fish. You know, I got surface yeah. breathing at five and a half, six hours. So, you know, like I've asked you about solar and you're like, well, you're going to need a lot more than a lot of people need. And <laughs> I think about it more for myself, just for the house needs. Like I'm not going to try to run that stuff out there, but right. my look on solar has always been, well, how long is the return? How long before I get my money back? And it, it just doesn't really pencil out for me very well. Right. But let's talk about real quick here. Solar generators. Like we kind of mentioned that already, but I'm of the opinion that's not a thing. Yeah. So so what it is, is it's an all in one system. OK, that you connect to a solar panel. Right. So a solar panel connects to a small battery that has an inverter and a converter, okay? And it also has what's called an MPPT or maximum power point tracking um, charge controller. And so what that allows it to do is in one small device, you can charge off of like plugging it into the cigar lighter in your truck. You can charge it off of plugging it into the uh, outlet in your house, or you can charge it from the solar panel directly in. So you'll have kind of three different inputs and you've got one all-in-one device that just charges that little battery up that's inside. And don't get me wrong, those devices are cool and they have a place, Mm -hmm. uh, but they're not a generator. Uh, They're a solar panel 
can if you just go buy the quote unquote solar generator and you don't buy the solar panel to go with it, guess what? It won't generate anything. Yeah. All right. It's the yeah. solar panel that's doing the generation. Yeah. And it's just an all in one device uh, that you can take DC in, DC out, AC in, AC out. That's it. Yeah. And what I don't like about the way they're marketed, first of all, that term generator gets in people's heads and the way they're presented is like, it'll run your refrigerator. Yeah. For about an hour and a half. If you don't plug anything else into it at all, right? It'll run your TV set yeah, for a couple hours. I mean, yep. you know, plug two or three things in it, and you're down to 15, 20 minutes, you know, unless that panel's out there producing energy. And as soon as you bypass the speed of that recharge, you're back to the same duration because the battery bank is simply not sufficient to have that much power. So, you know, you could go out and buy two deep cycle marine batteries and put them in a box on a charger. And you're probably going to have more reserve in those two batteries than you would in the typical battery that comes with a solar generator. At least last time I looked at them, because I haven't looked at them in 10 years. Yeah. I will say that because those are lithium iron phosphate based mm -hmm. battery packs, you can draw power out more efficiently okay. than you could a deep cycle. So there is a little bit of a benefit there, but again, you know, that's a very, very specific use case that we're talking about to say that one's yeah. better than the other. <laughs> and it also always seems like you look at it and you go, OK, if I buy all these things and slap them together, which is not hard, this is six hundred dollars worth of parts and they're selling it for twenty two hundred dollars. So I'll give you a good like example. That. You've probably heard of the EcoFlow systems. Yeah. OK, so the biggest, baddest EcoFlow system that you can buy that does has all the extended battery packs and it can put out 240 volts. I can build a system. I can build the components for th for that system for about seventy five percent of the cost. It will do more. Mm -hmm. It will last longer. It will provide more power on demand. It will charge more efficiently, and it will charge up seven or eight times faster. Okay. And the reason why I know this is because I had a guy reach out to me recently and say, "Hey, here's what I have, and here's yeah. what I want to do with it." Yeah. And after I ran all the calculations and everything, I said, can you send it back? Will they take it back? Because I can literally build you a system from parts that will do every, do way more than this system can do and save you money. Hmm. And unfortunately, he couldn't send it back. It was, you know, they had like a 30 day return deal. And it was yeah. after that. he had bought it, realized he was a little bit in, in over his head in terms of getting it to work, reached out to me. And by the time I was like, dude send it back. <laughs> he couldn't. So we're going to make it work. We're going to make the system work for him. But, um, you know, they're nice. Uh, you know, if you're if you're one of those people that said, hey, I just want to buy a system that can do everything and I've got the disposable income to do it and I'm going to sit it in the corner. I'm going to plug it into the wall and I'll never need it until I need it. That, you know, OK, that's fine. Um, if you want a system that'll do everything that you want it to do, literally getting the components and assembling them is a much better way yeah. to do it. And I think when people get intimidated by that, it's not a difficult thing to do. And then the right. good thing is if some components need replacing, you know how to do it because you put it together in the first place. Absolutely. Um, let's talk about some generator maintenance. This is something that, so when I mentioned that storm that happened in Arkansas that we were at down for like a week and a half, turned out there's a whole lot of people that had generators that when they needed it to work, didn't work. Yep. And uh, the generator repair shops were very busy once the power came back on and people could get out. 
Yeah. So I tell people to run your generator under load. This is important for at least 30 minutes a month. Okay. Okay. And I think it's a good drill to do. Take your generator, pull it out, pull your extension cords to the places that you would normally run them. Plug those things in, get your generator up and running, let it run for a few minutes, plug all your stuff in and let it work. Okay. Running your generator every month at zero load literally does nothing but gum up your components Mm -hmm. more than the other. Now, not as much maybe as letting it sit for a year and then trying to run it, but run it under load, make that thing work. Okay. I do that 30 minutes. I actually do it more than 30 minutes a month, but 30 minutes is good to get up to the temperatures needed to burn that stuff off on the inside. Okay. Don't use, don't use old fuel that hasn't been stabilized. Okay. Um, I typically do stable in all of my gasoline tanks. And when I'm running my uh, generator on its monthly cycle, I'll put an ounce of seafoam in there. And so seafoam is a fuel additive that helps burn off the gunk that can build up the residues and the varnishes that will build up from burning uh, gas. It's pricey. It's about twice the cost of stable. I've heard people say, hey, just use seafoam instead of stable to stabilize your gas. Like, no, I'll use the stable (laughs) for my gas. And stable is particularly good with ethanol uh, gas because it prevents the water gas mixture from happening. Yeah. Whereas seafoam is really good at liquefying those buildups on the inside of your engine and burning them off. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. So monthly I'll add an ounce, just run that thing for about 30 minutes at load. Like again, at least 50% of its capacity. Then a couple times a year, I'm going to do that. I'm going to drain the gas. If I haven't burnt it all off, uh, I'll just drain it and throw it in my car, you know, and then fill it up with fresh gas uh, a lot of people say store your, your generators with no fuel in them. I prefer to store mine full, but again, I don't let them go more than 30 days without running them, right? No, I do not um, store them empty because the last thing I need at 3 o'clock in the morning is to be out there with a jerry can. Yep. When I'm trying to get the power on in the winter time before the well freezes up or something like that. Because that Absolutely. light bulb goes out in the well house. And it's nine degrees. It's not long. And that's a messy cleanup. That's a messy repair, right? The idea that I might add a little bit of life to the internal lining of my fuel tank on my generator by storing it empty is not worth me having to do extra work when I need it. Yeah. You know, you mentioned get the cords out and all. Like, my thing is we have all our cords in one Rubbermaid, and they're Mm -hmm. numbered. Right. There's a one and two and they come off the two legs of the generator to the one to the house and one out outside. And then there's three and four go there. And then we have some power strips for like light load devices, because then you can use your cheaper extension cords, you know, run a light, a light and a fan. But it doesn't need to be at the end of, you know, a a heavy duty, really expensive 100 foot cord. Uh, We come in, throw a uh, like an eight port. Uh, surge protector on there. You run a standard little cable because you're only running five feet then. Right. And no, I love that idea. Number, I haven't, number I haven't the, numbered or color-coded my... outlay, number it because shit always happens at the bad time. It never yeah. happens at the good time, you know? Power goes no, out when it's dark for some reason. <laughs> I don't think I'll number mine. I think I'll color-code them. 
Okay. That way, if I'm, you know, three in the morning and I can't see very well for yeah. some reason, I, I can at least, I can make the color out. Um, but man, that's a great idea. I've never, I never thought about co- numbering or, or otherwise coding yeah. the cords themselves, but the, yeah, that's a fantastic idea. We, ju- we just throw some duct tape around it and ride on the duct tape. Like you run the duct tape around and then you kind of make a tail so that it sticks out. And then we put the, uh, to keep them in coils, we put the, uh, Velcro oh, yeah. ties on, right? Yep. And then that way, when you pull that open, you just cinch the tie up and it stays on there. When you put it away, it's all right there. But right. now that you say color code, yeah, you could totally just uh, use different color duct tape to color code it. Yep. You know, instead of trying to buy different color cords, because that's you get what you get sometimes, especially with supply being the way they are right now. But that's Absolutely. been really helpful. And I'm not saying don't use your cords for other things. If you need an extension cord, you know, go get your cord and use it. But then put it back. The generator cord should already be all be in the generator cord box. Absolutely. You know? Um, so if you run your if you run your if you run your generator a lot twice a year, you should probably change out your spark plug, mm. check your air filter. Your air filter might be fine. A lot of people say ah, I change it every time. I don't. Yeah. Um, at least check it. Make sure there's no crap in it, and then do an oil change. If you don't run it very often, once a year is fine for that. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, you can look at your oil, you can stick your finger in the, you, all these have a little oil, oil reservoir in the bottom. You know, if, if you're doing your twice per year checkup and you stick your finger in there and you pull it out and it's perfectly beautiful, uh, colored oil, I wouldn't worry about it, but I would change it out once a year. Um, the other big thing is if you are the type of person that has a battery on your generator and you've got one of those push starts, my preference is to not keep the battery on the invert or on the generator. Okay. My preference is to keep the battery on a battery tender, fully charged. That does add an extra step. But if you're out of town, let me not say you. If I'm out of town, yeah. my wife or my 16-year-old daughter has got to go out there. Cranking that uh, pull string on my 8750 generator is not fun. Pushing no. that button is very, very simple. And I've got Anderson connectors on the cords that came with it. So literally all they have to do is unplug it from the battery tender, plug it into the generator, hit the button. Push and the button. Again. Yeah. I actually need to do that because Dorothy can't start our Troy built. It's not yeah. happening. It's And I've, and ours isn't even hard. It's uh, it's more a technique where you kind of come halfway out and then you throw it back. And, and now you gotta, you, against you've got to do it enough to know that resistance. And, and when, know exactly kind of where that spot is. It's kind of like a compound bow once the – once the pulleys roll over, except it ain't so obvious. And yep, uh, exactly. And so, if you don't do it often, you won't. You you'll just you won't know going. it. Well, I've done it so many times. As soon as I feel, I know right there. That's that's the spot to accelerate. And then it, it's not hard to pull at that point. But if yep. you don't accelerate it, it won't kick over. And I probably do need to get a battery start. Um, if I had nat gas instead of propane, because I have a 120 gallon propane tank, it only run for so long that. It makes it where I don't want to put the investment into something like a Generac. Mm-hmm. If I had nat gas service to my house, I would have a standby Generac. I mean, it would because it just then I wouldn't have to worry when I'm gone. It would just jump off and on. But um, I, I can't get my head around the cost and then the limitation of how long it's going to run on that on that tank. It just right. doesn't. Because if you have nat gas in the house, it's pretty much you have power forever. Yeah. So so the National Reliable Energy uh, Lab uh, did a study 
on the most reliable um, portable generator type. Okay. And they looked at they looked at over time the availability of diesel, the availability of gasoline, availability of natural gas, all of these things, and resoundingly the answer was natural gas. Yeah. If you live in a place where you have natural gas to your house, that's the way to go from a reliability standpoint. Mm-hmm. Now it's more expensive, you know, and all the things, right? Yeah. But the the, rea- the reality is is that in a, in a grid down type situation, you know, I remember when the tornadoes came through uh, Georgia, uh, it was actually the same storm that I was in Florida for. And once the hurricane got to Georgia, it just started spawning tornadoes left and right. Yeah. And my in-laws were out of power for 12 days. Okay. Mm-hmm. They're in Dahlonega, Georgia. And, but they had that, they had that uh, gas generator going and you wouldn't know from being in the house. It yeah. was reliable. And, Trees were down over the roads and power lines were down over the roads. Well, guess what you can't do when trees and power lines are down over the roads? You can't go drive and go into a propane tank or yeah. drive and go get gasoline or diesel. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my buddy Brian Black from ITS Tactical, when we had that big storm, and I get it, really wanted, everybody thinks it was a storm. Uh, it was just a bad cold front is all it really was. And, uh, he was on that variable rate electric shit, and that's when that crazy stuff happened, and they were charging like eight times what they're supposed to be for power. And as soon as he heard that, he has a generac. He went just shut the breaker off even before he lost power, and he just thought, I'm not paying you guys until you guys figure this out. So it, it is a cool way to go if you have it available to you. Um, I just, like I said, I don't have I don't have that gas here. I would do it, honestly. Um what you have something on here? I don't even know what this is. Blue, blue, bluity. These little battery packs. Like, what is that? You, 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 we lost you, Sean. You have no volume. Did you mute yourself? Can you hear me now? Yes, I can. Yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> so yeah, the the, the blue eddy, uh, EcoFlow, Jacoper. There's a bunch of different uh, versions of this. And so what I want to do is just talk about when those make sense to use. Okay. Okay. So it's the same thing as what people refer to as a solar generator. If you're someone that's going to go out on the weekend and go camping. Okay. They are a fantastic option. You charge them up at home, you throw them in the truck, you go out, you go camping and you can do, you can, you can have some power while you're camping. Okay. Yeah, there you go. Um, So, Wow, that's a pretty good price for them. <laughs> Prime day deal, guys. There you go. Let me get you guys a link. Um, <laughs> and so they, they, they're they good for that. There are versions, like I mentioned, the EcoFlow, where you can actually string two of them together and get 240-volt output. The problem with that is that there's issues with balancing. All right? So okay. your, your uh, house, when you've got power coming in from the grid into your system – uh, you can run all of your loads on one side of that box. Okay. All your loads on one side and it's not a problem. But with these, uh, systems that you tie together to get 240, like the EcoFlow, you can't get that because <clears throat> if you are more than 50% out of balance on one hot leg versus the other hot leg, it just shuts off and you got nothing. You don't go, it doesn't say, Oh, you can't have any more on this side. It says you can have nothing. Okay. Okay. And so they're not a well, they're not a good 
substitute for a well-designed off-grid solar system with an inverter, with a battery bank, with solar panels, or even, you know, grid input to keep your batteries topped off. Um, I've seen a lot of people, there's a lot of like van life people and RV people that talk about these things and living off them. And I'm like, look, I can do math and I know that you're not living off of those things. There's just not enough power in there. Here's another thing that they're really good for. And you mentioned it earlier, Jack, they can be used as a UPS. So you can yep. plug this thing in, use it as a UPS, get you a little small solar panel and you could keep it topped off from a solar panel. You could keep it plugged into the wall, use it as a UPS that the power goes down and you start drawing uh, power out of it. You can put it on a solar panel to charge it back up. So there are some use cases where it kind of makes sense to use these things, but they're not a lightsaber. No, no. What do you think of this deal here? I couldn't find the one he was talking about, but this is a dual fuel champion. Um, 3,800 so, watts on sale for 408 bucks. Yeah, so there that might let me let me look at my notes here because there's one that I think that that's not it, but there's one very similar to that that's actually an inverter generator. I was not able to find it. Sometimes here, these Prime Day deals look, too, like they they tap look up, out. Look up this, Jack. So look up Champion Power Dual Fuel Inverter Generator, forty two fifty watts. Champion Dual Fuel. Dual fuel inverter. Inverter. How many? Forty-two fifty. Forty-two fifty. Yep. It should be five hundred thirty-eight dollars. Five thirty-three. Yeah, nope. it is. It is. There it is. That's a. Yep. That's a pretty smoke. That's a thousand-dollar generator every day of the week, Jack. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, so that generator right there will run off of gasoline. It will run off of propane. Okay. Now, when it's running off of propane, it's got about 80% of that 4250. As a matter of fact, it says it right there, 3150, I think. Yeah. Uh, 3150 watts is like the RMS load when it's running off of propane. But again, that's anything in your house other than those major items we talked about at the beginning will run on 3150 watts. And it's inverter generator, so it's going to be the most efficient use of your actual fuel. And uh, just real quick, anybody that uh, you know pick up a generator today, you go T Spaz first before you do it. That's a that's a good sale. Um, I don't have a generator's item of the day today. I should have done that. I, there's so many of them for sale right now. It's yeah, Prime Prime Day really. There, there's a ton of them out there that are they're going for for. Uh, really, really cheap. It, 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 honestly, if I didn't already have a 240 volt capable inverter generator, I would yeah. buy the one you just had on the screen. Yeah, the uh, only reason I'm not like sitting over here ordering it on the other screen is I have three generators. It's yeah. one of those things like, do I really need that? I don't know. I bet I could sell that thing for about $900 real quick on the next power outage to a $1,500 more likely. Point, yeah. You know, sell it, sell it with a 20 pound. Uh, uh, propane, propane tank. tank that's full and you can sell it for fifteen hundred bucks, I bet. Fifteen hundred bucks and there's a deposit of a hundred dollars on the tank. You give me the tank back <laughs> after the power outages, I'll get a hundred bucks back. So uh, that's even though they're like thirty, forty bucks. Those things have actually gotten really expensive. What's Freaking that? Propane grill tanks have gotten stupid. They used to be like fourteen, fifteen bucks. Yeah. Well, see, here's what you do, Jack. You go out to the country to one of those places that sell stuff out of their front yard. Yeah. 
you get one, you check it out, make sure that it looks good, and then you take it to Tractor Supply and have them fill it up because they only charge you for the propane they put in it. Yeah, and if it's uh, old and shitty, you just swap it out for one of the InstaSwap ones. Yeah, you do an exchange, and then you take the exchange and go get it filled. You overpay for that propane, but you still got a tank for next to nothing. I've, I've done that. Yeah. I do that because the people think that, that, you know, they, I know they're required to do it, but there's an expiration date on a propane tank and all right, this one's going to blue rhino. You know? yep. <laughs> I did one. I had one. I found one in an outbuilding of a property that I bought that was literally red because the entire thing was rusted. Okay. Oh, wow. And I took it and I, I walked into the place and I showed the guy the tank. I said, look, I'm going to exchange this thing, man, but I want you to see it. Yeah. Before, you know, cause you just, you just put the care. money in and you change it out. And he was like, I don't care. <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm, I'm the guy, I, I'll go to Lowe's cause they have the automated thing. Like nobody even comes out. You just swipe your card and you open a locker and put another one in and take the other one out. Yeah. Um, let's talk real quick now that we kind of hit the generator thing pretty solid. Let's talk a little bit about your Kickstarter, because I think yep. people have two days left to get in on that. There's a link in the video notes below, and there'll be one in the audio notes as well uh, under Sponsors of the Day. And uh, it's done really well. I mean, you initially needed just to get the base of it done, 3500 bucks, and it's up over yep. ten grand now. But tell people a little more about what, it, what's, what, it's, what it's about, like what they, they get as a backer. So I get a lot of questions from people about how do I move water from point A to point B on my property? Now, point A might be 350 feet below the surface in a deep well. And, you know, the point point B might be a cistern that sits right next to it. Or point A may be half a mile away in a river. And, and you know, so I get a lot of questions about this. And as I'm trying to go find the data to answer the questions, there isn't any. No one's done these tests. No one's mm-hmm. actually said, if I take a solar panel and put it with a linear current booster and a pump, this is what I get at all these different heights and distances. So I said, hey, there's a need for this data. I'm getting asked these questions because people can't find the answer on their own. So here's what we're doing. We are going to take five different solar panels, two different linear current boosters, and seven or eight pumps, and we're going to do all the different combinations. Once we have figured out what makes what work, then we're going to actually test every one of these pumps. And when I say test, I mean, I'm going to be able to give you pressure and flow at 25 feet, 50, 75, 100, 200, 250, 500. Most of them won't work beyond 100, but we're going to do all the tests. And so You'll be able to say, oh, you know what? I've got a, I've got a pump or I've got a, a cistern or I've got a spring or whatever. And I want to move water from here to here. Or maybe I just want to pump it up the hill and then gravity feed it down to the rest of my property. Mm-hmm. Now you, with this, with this information, you'll understand how to figure out all the calculations to design the system yourself. If you don't want to do that, you can just literally go left for height and down for distance and find yeah. the pump and figure out exactly how much flow you're going to get, what size solar panel to put on it. And we're talking about no inverters. We're talking about no batteries. We're talking about literally three components. Hey, if I want to go out there and set this thing to run four hours a day or just run whenever the sun's out constantly, we're going to cover how do you figure out what you need? How do you get the right size pump? And we're talking about being able to build systems that you can go to 
you know, a website that shall not be named and buy one of these systems for five grand. Yeah. Or you can get your exact needs, look at the data that we're going to provide and buy everything you need to wire it. And literally wiring is like clicking a couple of things together for less than a thousand dollars and do the exact same thing. We've had two stretch goals that we've hit. The first one was a ramp pump. So now we're going to do a whole segment on how to build a ramp pump, how to do the calculations for delivery of what, how much water you're going to get, how far you can pump it on a ramp pump. And the one that we just hit, I think overnight actually, is we're going to test a Dankoff slow pump. So this is a German made, super high engineered, over a thousand dollar pump. And okay. we're going to test it against like the $90 and $250 pumps and just see, is it worth the money? What does okay. the money That's buy it. you, right? What's that? What does the extra money buy you? Right. Exactly. Certainly I guess there's more better, But if it only buys you longevity, buy two of the cheap ones and keep one on the shelf and you're $800 ahead. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. Uh, and then so we've got a couple more stretch goals. As Jack mentioned, we're going to close funding for this project on Friday. The next stretch goal is going to be adding airlift pumps. And so we're going to do a combination of trying to see what kind of uh, flow we get with just air as well as combining air and uh, solar direct 12 volt pump on the same solar panel. Okay. And see what kind of gain that gets us. And then the next stretch goal at 13,000 is we're actually adding Paul Wheaton's pond video. So you can actually figure out how to install a pond and then use the sun to pump water from it to different places on your property. That's awesome. That's awesome. And I tell you, one of the reasons this all needs to be done is math is great and math doesn't lie. But people who make equipment lie about the math. Yeah, they're going to test it out with shitty input. You get a shitty output. Yeah. Yeah. Because when they tell you this, this pump will give you 25 feet ahead. You better look at what flow that is at that 25 feet. I mean, some water of some amount will come out and dribble out the end of it. And I mean, I've, you know, all the pump work we do here, I've, you know, just hook up a hose with it just to see. And you just, as you raise your hand, you watch the flow slow down. Right. And that's just me. And I'm only six foot tall. I'm not even six, but I'm like five eleven, So I can reach maybe seven foot and you can watch the flow change on a small pump over that. So you start moving water hundreds of feet and multiple tens of, of elevation, you get a big difference. So once you know what those numbers are, then you can do the calculation. Yep. And the other thing we're going to do is we're going to test pumping flat distance. So we're going to do 100-foot hoses. So we'll have 100-foot increments, and we'll be able to identify how that impacts the flow rate, as well as we're going to do 250 uh, or 250-foot increments of poly pipe out to 1,000 feet. So 1,000 feet of hose, 1,000 feet of poly, and you'll be able to say, okay, if my pump gives me three gallons per minute at no distance, what is it going to give me if I pump it over 500 feet out to this cattle tank that I've got out in the field? Hmm. Hmm. Very, very cool. Well, guys, let's get him over the stretch goals and get that stuff added to it. That'd be awesome. Uh, only two days left to go. And what, what are we sitting at right here? Maybe somebody kicked in while we were going 10,486 bucks. It ain't that much to kick it over guys. And like I said, Sean put out a great show for you today. So think about, you know, investing in him and then getting the knowledge back out of it. Cause this is, this is work somebody needs to do. Right. right. Somebody needs to do this work. And when you look at the cost of all the equipment to do it right, you can see why nobody's really done it yet. You know, yep. and, and each job that anybody does like you do, generally they figure it out as they go. Um, and 
you you can save an awful lot of money by not having to do that, by knowing exactly what you need. And I think it also would help a lot. A lot of people right now are trying to build off grid or build semi off grid or whatever, and they're budgeting. So if you're in like looking for property stage, having the, the ability to put a hard budget on something like this, because I remember years and years ago when Stephen Harris was still around, and you said, I can make solar pay for itself on the first day. And he was like, oh, well, shit. And you're like, well, if I buy a piece of property that's not on grid and can't be on grid and it's going to cost $100,000 to bring power to it so I can get the property for half the price uh, and I put $20,000 worth of solar on it, I just made an $80,000 gain that day. Yep. And he, even even Harris was like, oh, OK. You're like, yeah, like, yeah, all right. Let me and tell you so something that's changed significantly. That they don't have a well or water on, and that property is seriously discounted. And if you can figure a solution out, like I had a buddy, and there was actually a well and power, but it was a wet season well, mm-hmm. right? So it it basically didn't produce much water during the dry season. And all he did was look at it and go. Well, there's like two poly tanks there. I can buy two more poly tanks and, you know, got the property at a song because no one else thought that way. And that's an easy solution. Right. This stuff's a little more creative. So I think it also would empower you to save a lot of money on property. Well, let me tell you something that's changed a lot since Stephen and I had that conversation. Time. Hmm. Okay. If I call a guy today and ask him to come drill me a well in most of the country, you're over a year out. Okay. We're seven months. Yeah. If if I call, if I call a guy, oh, and by the way, you're just paying for the hole. If he doesn't hit water, thanks for the money. See ya. Yeah. Yeah. If, if you try to hire someone, uh, your local uh, utility company, if you're in a relatively kind of like fringe urban area, you can typically get that done pretty quickly. But if you're in a rural area, again, you're talking about months and months and months before you can make that happen. Okay. So the ability to say, okay, I've got a property I'm evaluating. It's got a little bit of a dribble of a spring on it and there's no power and there's no well. And I'm going to get that property for a thousand dollars an acre. Okay. And then I can go out there and I can develop the spring and I can ram pump water up the hill and then gravity feed it down. And it's just going to pump all year. And that's going to work until I get ready to actually build my homestead out there. Then I get out there and build the homestead, put some solar in. And now I've got a property that, you know, is worth five, ten thousand dollars an acre plus the price of the improvements because I've got utilities on it. Yeah. Well, yeah, you just you just made your money back in spades and you didn't have to wait for someone else to come out and do the work for you. Yeah. Yeah. And even ponds and stuff like that's that works not hard to get done, especially right. out in the country. There's always some guy with a dozer or an excavator or a bobcat or a combination that like that's his thing. I do ponds. So if we can make water and move water, we just skin that and we don't have to worry about it anymore. And you can, you know, there's always ways to filter water and purify water for drinking. And then most everything else doesn't require that. So I think, right. you know, and then you throw a little roof catch on that. Um, you know, it's not that hard to get poly tanks, even, you know, the proper built 2,500 gallon ones. You can throw that on the back of a pickup truck with a ratchet strap, you know, even if you have to drive somewhere to get it. So if we can move water, all of a sudden 
things get a lot better. And if we add things like solar for home power, you know, we start to really get independence and it's expensive. But again, like you were saying, expensive is relative. If I can save the money on the property to more than cover this infrastructure, then I'm ahead right out of the gate. And I'm also independent. Then I don't care that the grid went down. It doesn't matter to me anymore. That's, that's kind of the most tempting thing to me about the off-grid lifestyle is not, well, if the shit hits the fan, it's that I just don't care anymore. Right. It just doesn't matter anymore. Like the power might go out. I don't give a shit, you know. Now, the other side I'll say to that is somebody's owned a well for most of my adult life. You are in a situation where something breaks. It's completely on you to get it fixed, right? You might right. hire somebody, but, you know, when, when we had a problem with our well, there, you, you can't just call any plumber in the book to do well work for you. you got to call somebody that, says, yes, we do wells. Because there's plumbers that could do it that are just like, we don't want to. Mm-hmm. We just don't want to. Or you get like, I had, I ended up buying three extras of this module for my well in Arkansas because lightning would strike anywhere near the damn thing and this module would fry. And so the guy was really great. He's like, don't worry about it. I'll just come out. I'll be there within a day. And I'm like, I don't do that, Tex. And then he, the, the, then I ended up like, hey, um, I'm going to need one. He goes, you bought an extra. I'm like, no, 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 no. That I just put that one in. He goes, well, you better buy a bunch of them because I just discontinued it. Oh, so I bought like three of them. And we were getting ready to I'm like, we're probably going to sell a move. So we should be good. And I left two. I mean, and it happened constantly. That thing would get blown up. And, and I don't know what it was because the house never got struck or nothing. But we'd have a lighting storm and the wells out again. Mm-hmm. And you could pull that thing out and sniff it. And you could <laughs> you could smell surge. <laughs> yeah, so there was too many too many amps went through this thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you could smell surge. Well, hey, man, this has been a great show. Uh, we do have some questions we can hit real quick before I let you go. All right. Um, Thomas says, molten salt batteries, thoughts? So uh, a molten salt battery is just a thermal battery, okay? Molten salt actually retains heat better than most other uh, things. If you've ever flown into Las Vegas and you see that tower with all of the uh, mirrors around it, the concentrated solar, which was the concentrated solar 15 years ago, was all the rage. Okay. okay. Uh, the way that they actually kept the heat overnight was the melted salt and stored it in molten salt tanks, and then used that to preheat the water before it oh. went up to get get concentrated again. And so. Um, at home scale, nope, but, uh, there is something to be said for, um, you know, maybe in the Northeast or uh, the upper Midwest, uh, that could be a strategy that is utilized along with a lot of other different things that could be a part of the strategy to, um, you know, reduce the, the amount of generation needed or, or to use more renewable type energies. I will mention uh, we've all heard about the Canadian wildfires, right? No one's probably mentioned the fact that the solar production in the upper Midwest and the Northeast has been cut by about 50% Ooh. versus what was expected for this time of year just Ooh. because of, of smoke in the air. I, I didn't even think about that. We had somebody yesterday mention the impact that it's having on some agricultural things as well. And also the, Apparently, there was some big volcano that blew its top that the media didn't think was important that's created some level of, um, you know, 
shading out the sun type of thing as well. Well, we and we've also got the massive Saharan dust cloud on, on the way. Oh, wonderful! That's just yeah. what we need. Dust clouds are wonderful. Um, Take the ride says, what does Sean think of used military diesel generators? Uh, if you can find one whose output matches what you need and uh, it doesn't have a ton of hours on it and you can get it cheap, I say go for it. There's nothing okay. wrong with them. Uh, normally, you know, you, you can get a good generator. I mean, you can get a 20,000 watt pull behind your car generator for on the order of a hundred, you know, a couple hundred, three, four hundred bucks. Um, but one of the things you got to make sure is that the output is appropriate for USA and for your house. So mm-hmm. if you go buy a 480 volt three phase generator and try to hook up to your 240 volt uh, uh, split phase house, it's not going to work. Now, uh, as long as you match those two things up and it doesn't have a ton of hours on it, it's worth the relatively minimal um, uh, investment. The other thing to think about, though, is, okay, now I've got a 20,000-watt generator, and I've got 2,000 watts worth of loads. And what did we say earlier? If you run those things a lot under 50% capacity, you're literally reducing the life of the engine. So yeah. unless you have a very specific use case for this thing where you're going to use a lot of that power, i just go buy a regular portable one. Yeah, and I'll add to it. So... There is a military specialty in the Army for working on those things, and it does exist, and those guys do exist, but I never met one, right? So what ends up happening is people like me, I was a diesel mechanic, end up doing all the work on them, mm-hmm. and we have no training on the generator sets themselves. We're trained to work on 917 truck trackers and Hemets and stuff like that. So they're like, well, you got tools, and you know what diesel is. Go fix it. Yeah. So we have a technical manual, and we keep the damn thing running. Uh, then the other side of it is soldiers are young guys that break shit. So any military surplus gear has been abused. And then the addition to that is most of the generators that had a lot of use will be attached to these companies called engineering companies. And there's very few engineers in an engineering company. There are a bunch of construction workers and shit that break really break shit. Yeah. I mean, the stuff I saw them do to trucks is like, how did you do this? Um, then I would say the good news, though, is most of the generators that come out of Army service were not with, like, deployable engineers. I get, well, I'm, I'm old, right? So I'm talking, now I guess there's probably a lot of shit coming back in from the Mideast and stuff. Now, we left all that for the Taliban. Anyway, what I'm trying to say is a lot of units that have these, they are barely used. Yeah, They're so and that's why I said check the batteries, because you, you have two versions. You yeah. have the one that was always on. Yeah. And had the crap run out of it and yeah. just would beat the hell. Yeah. And you have the one that was literally run once a month for, for maintenance. Yeah. Those are the two two options you'll find. Some guy that's an operator of it once a month came out to do PMCS, started it up and got yelled at by a guy like me for not actually doing what he was supposed to do and didn't do it anyway. Yep. Right? You know what I mean? Like, cause we had like eight of them in our motor pool and except on deployments where I was with other units, I don't ever remember any of them running for anything other than that once a month thing. Right. So they were never used. So one of those, I would totally get my hands on. Um, some of the ones I yeah, saw. But so if you, if you buy one that's like rated for 50 Hertz, for example, yeah. won't run your stuff in your house. Yeah. Yeah. That's the other side of it too. That's a, definitely. Um, snorkel conversion to propane for older gen sets, pros versus cons. I'm not sure what a snorkel conversion is. Never heard of it. 
but I do know there are uh, conversion kits that you can buy uh, to run like a tri you have a tri fuel conversion kit and basically uh, you can you can plug and you can select between gas, propane or natural gas and it will actually change the aperture of the air mixture uh, so that you can run off of any of those three things. So I'm not sure what a snorkel conversion is, um, but I have used tri tri fuel conversions with older generators. So I'm a fan of the tri tri fuel. So if that's what you mean, K Bonk, then I would give it a thumbs up. If that's not what you mean, neither of us know what it is. Pine Island Seeds, we were in the eye of Ian down here. Our 2,000, 4,000 watt Ryobi ran our fridge and freezer and a bunch of fans, much needed. Tried to run the fridge off of Blue Eddy and only the freezer would work. Why? My guess is well, it's going to be one of two things. One would be your freezer is newer and has a more efficient uh, compressor. Uh, the other option would be is that your freezer, because they are, if it's a chest freezer, it's going to be better insulated. It probably has a smaller compressor on it. Yeah. So they do the same thing, uh, but the compressor size. And so the Blue Eddy uh, is going to have a maximum output because it's drawing off of a 12-volt battery, right? So the maximum number of amps that can come out of that battery is what the limit is going to be for what it can run. So... Uh, I mean, the simple answer is one of them was drawing more energy than the other. Uh, but the more detailed is, is it's probably because the compressor was smaller on the freezer. And it probably could have run the refrigerator, but it couldn't handle the surge to start. And it just right. couldn't yep. get past that. So you might look at it and the watts seem to work out. But what's the surge watts when that compressor kicks on for that first couple seconds? And if you can't get over that, it's like we were talking about pull start on a generator. It ain't that it's hard. There's a way to do it. And if you can't get over that hump, right, then it, it doesn't go. Yep. Uh, Matt here says, can you use a generator with a two-way meter for electric buyback power program? <laughs> I have an old diesel generator and a bunch of waste oil that it will run on. I was going to uh, say, I don't know that that's a business plan, but if you got a bunch of free fuel, maybe it is. So the answer is no. And the okay. reason for that is the way that the electric buyback program works is that your uh, your grid tied inverter will actually increase the voltage ever so slightly so that you've got power running out. Now, okay. that being said, you could put a what I call a grid interactive or behind the meter inverter in and run that inverter straight off of your uh, diesel generator. And now what you're doing is you're avoiding bringing the power in. You're okay. not putting anything back out. You're just avoiding the usage from the grid. Okay. Can you use 12.3 Romex with a generator? Yep. Okay. Yep. Uh, you'd be limited to, I think, 20 amps. Um, so, you know, Romex, there are certain things you can and can't do with Romex, but in terms of using it for Alternating current, which is what we're talking about. Yeah, no problem. All right. What else we got here? We got from Chicken Hawk. Get your significant other to help, too. I think. Oh, yeah. He was talking about when we were doing the uh, the generator maintenance. Yeah. Having yeah. having your wife or kids involved with that so that they understand uh, what's going on is is definitely definitely a good plan. I can I tell you my my older daughter. um you know, for a period of time, 
when we would equalize our old flow lead acid batteries, her job was to go out and actually get everything started. So she knew how all that stuff worked. She could, she'd come in and be like, ah, I think the oil on the generator is kind of low. Okay, change it. Yeah. I think that um, having the family involved with like drills of any of your power down scenarios is a good idea. I remember we were still living in Arlington. This was before Arkansas. And um, power went out in the winter and, I went out to fire up the generator, came back in, the kid had a fire log going and throwing wood in the fireplace. Like everybody just went and did their, like, I didn't say like, Hey, let's go. Like everybody just went and did it. I'm like, Oh, freaking great. You yep. know? And that just comes from having done it before. And I think, yeah. And even your small things. kids, they can have little jobs like, Hey, go get the power strip out yep. and go yep. put it in the living room. And then we'll run yep. the electric cord to it. And, and you know, they can, even the little kids can have little jobs like that. Yep. Lighting candles is another one. I, I'm a big fan of candles, even in grid up scenarios. Uh, but yeah, a little stuff like that. Everyone can be involved with. I'm telling you those cheap ass led lanterns that I recommend. They're like, they come in a four pack for like 20, 25 bucks. And sometimes they're on sale for less. Um, what we did is we put little, uh, screws, like little, uh, hook screws. The name of what you call damn things has escaped me right now. Put them up in the roof of the rooms, the far out rooms. And just painted them the same color as the roof. You you have to know they're there to recognize they're there to even see them. And so we'll just take one of those and hang it. Yep. And they turn on when you pull, pull them down. down. And they go off when you push them up. And yep. like give the kids one of those. Uh, you know, give your young kids one of those straight away. Then they're not scared, and they can go like you said, get the power strips out, the little stuff. And that way, when you come and pitch the the extension cord through the window. You know, someone else is there and can hook all that stuff up. And once you get lights, you know, get the light on, get get your light, your backup lighting on, then you can see what you're doing. Yep. You know, and then everything gets easier from there. I, I completely agree with that advice is to involve others in what needs to be done. Because you will find maybe certain people can't do certain things like pull start a 7,500 watt generator. Well, then while you're doing that, what else needs doing? You know? Right. Uh, Chicken Hawk also says, do some generators have oil filters? I can't find one on my 4,000 watt generator. Yeah, most most of your uh, small portable generators are not going to have an oil filter. It's not circulating the oil. Mm -hmm. You're putting the oil directly in the reservoir in the bottom and everything. You know, you don't have a big system there. Yeah. And so, yeah, yeah you're, you, don't, you won't have a, an oil filter there. You want to change it out regularly. Um, but uh, you won't have an oil filter. You want, and when I say that, you want to change your oil regularly, but you don't yeah. have a filter. The good news is it's one less thing to do when you do an oil change. Pretty much drain and fill. That's all there is to it, you know. Uh, and then K-Bonk has a question. What? is a I think there should be an is in there. Linear booster. Yeah, so when I was talking about the Kickstarter, I mentioned that you take a solar panel and you put a linear current booster in between it and the pump. And so what that does is... When current, when light hits the solar panel, it's going to start to create a circuit with the pump and the pump's going to want to start turning and it'll, it'll turn. And if you don't have enough current to get past what that locked rotor amperage, then it'll just keep trying. Okay. And then you'll get enough generation from your panel to actually start turning it and it'll turn all day. And then in the evening, the same thing will happen. You'll have not enough. And it'll just sit there. And what happens when you have that scenario is your pump's going to burn out very quickly because it's going to spend the first 45 minutes of its daily cycle trying to turn and not being able to and the last 30 minutes. And so what a linear current booster does is it says, OK, we're, if we have enough 
power coming in to power the pump will put the output to the to the level that the pump actually needs to start turning. And then at the end of the day, when we aren't when we don't have enough, we will stop. So it prevents current from going to the pump when there's not enough power to actually turn it, both in the beginning and the end of the day. And it makes your pump run more efficiently because you're never going to buy a solar panel that has the exact correct voltage and amperage of that pump once. So the linear current booster kind of acts like a charge controller in between, and it puts out that current or that voltage exactly the way the pump wants. Okay. Okay. Uh, <laughs> this is a great question. Uh, my generator made a pop noise and now seems to have no compression when pulling the rope. What should I look for? That's a Coleman 6200 watt. So the generator. easiest thing to do here is to take your um, spark plug out and put an airline on. Uh, you can get a little adapter that will screw into your spark plug and pressurize the air, put a little uh, air gauge on there. And you can literally do it with a pump one. It's easier to do it with yeah. a small compressor and just see if you are um, holding compression. So if you have compression, then... You know, if you're if it, that thing doesn't bleed it back down to zero, uh, then then you're fine. And if not, then you probably need to go get another generator. <laughs> yeah, I was saying that that sounds like uh, it could be a rod. It could be a ring, but it sounds like yeah. something like Kapusta. Usually yeah, if you blow an O-ring in, in a generator, it's not worth uh, yeah. trying to fix. It's, you just yeah. need to go get another one. And uh, K-Bonk says Snorkel is a compression a conversion kit made in the USA. I found it now that I know that. I'm going to look that I up. I think it's just a brand of a Tri-Fuel is all that it okay. is. Or, there it is on the screen. It's just a brand. So Tri-Fuel, yes, Snorkel. Sean and I just aren't familiar with the brand. Okay. On that. Well, yeah, Anybody, if that's US made, I might reach out to them and see if I'll get them to send me one. I'll test it out. That'd be cool. That would be cool. Anyway, man, I really appreciate you being with us today. Uh, thank you for that. And uh, let people know how they can find out more about you and get in touch with you. Sure. So hackmyhomestead.com uh, is the website. Um, I do have a podcast. I've got a little over 50 episodes out right now. I mainly talk about either solar power uh, or kind of what we're doing as we're moving back to the off-grid place in Tennessee. Uh, I've got a YouTube channel that has very little content on it, but I'm working on that uh, at Hack My Homestead on YouTube. And if you want to email me, you can email me S-H-A-W-N at HackMyHomestead.com. I still do have the HackMySolar at gmail.com uh, email, but uh, trying to move everything over to the Hack My Homestead stuff. So uh, if you guys need help, if you need help with, I, I've gotten a lot of things recently with people reaching out. They've gotten a quote to do a, you know, have a contractor come in and do a full blown solar system grid tied on their house. And they just want someone to walk it through with them, make sure that they're not signing up for something that is garbage, uh, that they've got a good, good protection. Um, yeah. for 23 years, I did a lot of contract stuff so I can look at your contract and I can look at what they're specking and look at the price and say, okay, if I were you, I'd go back and talk about these couple of things. Uh, so I help people out with that as well as full, like I said, off grid homestead design type things. And it's rampant around here. People being sold crap. Yep. When my son bought his house about six years ago, uh, he was excited. It had a solar solar uh, array on the roof. And I, I looked at the math on it. And basically it was one of these like 
where you have a payment plan over like 20 years and the guy had only been there for two. So he was buying the house plus a, plus a pay, payment plan. And I'm like, based on our electrical rates, you'll get your money back. Uh, never. Mm-hmm. Right. So don't do this. Right. If you're, you're going to buy a house deal. and it already has solar panels on it and it's got one of those deals on it. Yeah. I tell everyone have the system paid for out of escrow. Do yeah. not have a payment. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my other thing on that is they're almost inevitably pure grid tied systems when they're like that. And so people think if the power goes out, I'm going to have power. No, (laughs) no, all you're trying to do is cut your electric bill there. And I I would say in general, my advice is that if you go to Costco, it's a great store, but the dude that tries to abduct you when you're on your way out of Costco to sell you solar, stay away from that dude. Just don't even talk to him. He is not worth your time. Anyway, Sean, I'll have links to your website and all your social media and stuff like that in the show notes today. Thank you for being with us. Thanks, Jack. All right, folks, real quick, just before we go, uh, I want to remind you guys that you can always help support us by doing your online shopping at tspaz.com, especially if you got all excited and you're going to buy a generator. I have quite a few generators on tspaz.com, but there's a lot of good generators for sale right now. If you start your shopping at tspaz.com, uh, before you uh, buy stuff online, you will help us out no matter what you choose to buy. My item of the day today is an energy product, but it's a really, really simple, inexpensive one, but it's on sale for almost 50% off. Prime Day, it's on 48% off. This is a Streamlight MicroStream uh, uh, stylus uh, flashlight. I love these things. I've been recommending Streamlight since about 2010. That's a long time for me to recommend something without changing it. What I like about this one is if you look at the clip on it, if you're watching the video, the way that clip's designed, it can work like a regular in inside the pocket clip or whatever. But it's got that bend back on the clip. You know where that does? It goes right on the brim of your hat. So you can put it up on your hat and your hands are free when you're trying to start your uh, generator at 3 o'clock in the morning in the dark. Isn't that nice? Uh, I actually, though, started recommending the MicroStream, which is a one-battery light. When Nicole Sauce told me that she didn't like the one I recommended, the longer one, uh, because of stupid ass jeans with stupid ass girl jeans with non pockets in them or something to that effect. I didn't know this was a thing. So she had a little O light she was using uh, with the CR123 batteries. I don't like those. You know why? They cost more money and they're not in everything else I own. Uh, so I like to standardize on things. That way I know I always have batteries available. I got rechargeable AAAs. So I will always have batteries for this. I can rip them off out of our lawn lights. I can rip them off out of our TV remote control if I need a light. So I love this thing. It's a good deal all the time. But, again, today it's 48% off, and you can always help us out no matter what you buy, as long as you start your shopping at tspaz.com. With that, I hope you guys enjoyed today's show. And I noticed something in the last couple weeks. I've done a few shows that are kind of doom and gloom, you know, apocalyptic stuff of what's coming. You guys seem to really like those, man. The attendance on those is insane. The downloads on them are insane. I'm going to give it to you one more time. Tomorrow we're going to talk about the cancer that is inflation and the eventuality that's begun right now, in my opinion. I think we're at the top of the bell curve of hell, and we're in descent mode now. So if you like stuff like that, and I don't know why you would, but some of you like the horror movies, that's what we're going to be doing tomorrow, so tune in for that one. Friday, Expert Council Q&A, and I think i got at least uh, one or two in the bank here from Sean, so he'll probably be on that, and we'll be back in another week to do it all over again. And I think that will be the week of the 
anniversary party. Expect some rewinds during that. I've got a lot of people coming into town, a lot of work to do for that. So uh, next week we'll probably have some rewinds as well. With that, guys, take care. Catch you again tomorrow with another episode. Are they going to bail you out or just run you around? They said you should have a house the American way. Dollar down the dollar.